Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And critically, I also put Mask Agent on to um, Yasunori. Um, oh, that's nice. That, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, nice isn't perhaps the right word. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah. In this episode, we have Paul Butler, Jamie Varney, and James Doxey, the three top finishers at the English GT. And you can definitely tell that these guys have a lot of fun playing against each other, and they've been doing it for a while because the four of us have a lot of fun. Uh, you learn about a nasty turn one play from Jamie uh, that he brought into uh, Paul Shenlong. Uh, Peter reveals uh, which resonant master Shenlong fears the most. We have a great discussion on round times at events, uh, some pros and cons of soloing a master in an event, and some really interesting thoughts on whether you should be seating points early or late with plant explosives. Uh, make sure you stay to the end when we talk about the current state of the metas and where we think all the factions fall competitively against each other. And there might be an Easter egg at the very end of the episode. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking with the three people that filled the podium in the 2019 English GT. Now there was 26 players over two days and six rounds, and these three gentlemen finished first, second, and third. Now the winner of the event was Jamie Varney, uh, second place, James Doxey, and then third place, Paul Butler. Now, you know the winner of the event, Jamie, from his great deep dives into Albus and Karai. And he's also one of uh our uh for the one of the people that was on our first expert roundtable episode, one of my all-time favorite episodes. And I'm going to have a link uh, to all of those uh, in the show notes. If you have missed those um, episodes, you want to check them out. So, Jamie, welcome back to the third floor. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. So, uh, what have you been doing to get ready for nationals? Uh, Not a huge amount, actually. Painting uh, Bayou models at the moment is what I'm doing with my free time. But you're going to play Razors, right, at nationals? Yeah, yes, I expect so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Not doing um, anything and, away there. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, though, the fact that Jamie has found an interest in Bayou is a good indication that they are broken um, and that there's a problem because uh, that's about the only thing that would attract Jamie to want to want to play them. But uh, our second place and our other guest is uh, uh, James Doxey. Now, uh, James, uh, James took second, like I mentioned, and uh, you probably know him both from the round table that I mentioned with uh, Jamie, but also his incredible deep dive into Kara. So, uh, James, welcome back to the third floor. Thank you for having me. 
I assume you're not switching factions for nationals. So what have you been up to? Uh, trying to broaden out my master selection a little bit to uh, make sure I've got two masters I, I want to bring to all the strategies. So that's been been my focus in the, the sort of four or five weeks we've got between now and nationals. So what are some, uh, are you, is it top, because this is not going to come out till after nationals. So, or, well, no, it might, it might come out. So you want to be careful, but is there, uh, is there a master that you have been focusing on that uh, you're trying to get um, kind of up to speed with? I like the or idea. Would you rather that my, keep that secret? I like the idea that my primary opposition isn't on the podium, on the phone call with us right now. <laughs> so, so, okay. so this coming out later probably won't help. I'll help over later. That's true. So. We'll, we'll, we'll say no comment, James. We'll say <laughs> yeah, no, no comment. comment. <laughs> okay. And then the third place uh, finisher, Paul Butler. Now, Paul's never been on the show. Um, he wa- he did send in a question for the Shenlong episode, so you've heard his voice on the show. Um, but um, Paul is a con- consistent. Um, uh, winner uh, over there in the UK and uh, his 10 <laughs> Thunders play is um, something that's dangerous. So uh, Paul, uh, welcome to the third floor. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. <laughs> so if you didn't know that was, uh, I think it was Jamie that was chuckling in the background when I talked about Paul being a good player, but um, Paul, um, you know, Jane, we've heard this from uh, both James and Jamie, but uh, can you kind of tell us how, how you found Malifaux and what got you into it? Um, oh God, how did I find Malifaux? Uh, as luck would have it, depending on your point of view, I started sort of getting back into gaming after a 20 year break. And, um, I think I just randomly found Malifaux. Oh no, I was talking to somebody at a board game place about Malifaux. Uh, and he said, um, well, actually the place to go is the, is Harrogate. It's got one of the, the you know, the, the the most active clubs and, a, you know, a club with a lot of good players. And I was doing some training over there on a Thursday, which was when they met. And uh, and that's how you got stuck with me. <laughs> so uh, that means you've been playing Malfoy for how long now? Uh, Since what edition? Second edition, um, just as book two came out. So what about, is it four years now? Yeah, I would say about four, four, three, four or five years. So that's great. So guys, what we're going to try to do is I'm trying to pick your brains so that we can uh, kind of learn how things went round by round. Um, some of the key takeaways um, from each of them. We're going to kind of summarize day one and then really focus on the last three rounds in day two. But I want to learn um, kind of what, what led them to finish so strong in such a competitive uh, field. And was there anything that they discovered about the game over the two days, um, kind of their perspective, either on their particular masters, their play, or maybe the meta in general? And then um, we're going to learn, you know, what did they bring? So let's start off uh, with you, James. Um, can you kind of talk us through some of the key takeaways and where you finished after day one? Yeah, certainly. So um, probably my key points um, for day one, I'd started to be able to, I kind of felt like I was getting into my stride a bit um, with with third edition at this event. So I was able to start doing things like actually tech against the master I was playing. So not just kind of focus on what do I need to do um, in a given objective set, but actually also start to really tech against opposing masters. So I was able to bring uh, uh, Howard Langston into game two playing against Zip, um, mm-hmm. and, and find that actually, despite the fact I was playing Sandeep, paying the hiring tax, bringing that in, um, and being able to tech in that way. So I'm feeling like I'm kind of getting beyond that initial, um, figuring out what I'm doing and what the objectives are and actually then figuring out how to, how to play into my opponent. And that's something sort of crew selection choices, I think were quite on point this weekend for me. So that'll probably be my takeaway. 
Um, yeah, and, and it takes point. a certain amount of familiarity, doesn't it, James? I mean, you have to get real comfortable to be able to kind of flex out of your normal list or what you normally would bring. Yeah, that and that and probably my other takeaway was just um, how infested with Reza's London seems to be. Um, <laughs> we, I think I think was it going into round three of, of day one? We were at um, I think there were seven Reza's across the, the the sort of the top seven tables. Um, yeah, overall. Yeah, and, but by no, the end, it, of, it, go ahead. I was going to say, by the end of that round, though, fortunately, I'd got up into third place um, and ended the day in third. Nice. And then, um, I mean, do you think that there's that? Do you think that that's meaningful uh, in your mind? Does it just mean a bunch of people in London brought resers, or do you think that uh, you know it's starting to reveal something about the faction and where it fits in overall? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably a bit of both, right? Um, I think that's certainly something um, you can get either way. Um, I, I think you know, geography has something to do with it. I think as well, though. I mean, I, I have, um, I have. I, I, so I'm always interested in the psychological cycle. Try that word again. You can tell it's a Friday night. The psychology of the factions, and sort of, I, I often think that um, sometimes you find that that Reza players seem to be a bit down on on their their kit, and actually, I think you find as you look back through the history of Malifaux, Rezas tend to wind up as the best faction simultaneously, mm. while their player base seem to be the most vocal about how terrible their faction is. Um, <laughs> so, so you, you, as an Arcanist player, you're telling me it's Rezzers that are whiny. Yeah, that's exactly okay. what I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so James is, uh, do you think, um, there was one particular game of the three there that you think, um, was, was the difference maker? Um, I mean, I think, I think probably the, I think I think probably there were a couple a couple of points in any of them I, I could point to. Um, certainly playing against in, in round three, I played against Seamus, who's not someone I've faced before, um, mm-hmm. and that was quite a, that was quite an interesting game. Um, uh, there was a red Joker into Seamus whispered into a red Joker into Karis um, in turn one, so Karis got slammed for sort of eight damage after reduction. Um, yeah, something in that region. Um, and that led to quite a brutal sort of back and forth game, neither master surviving. Um, and I just got out ahead on that, but that was sort of, it was an interesting test case in what to do when things go wrong early. Um, and then, then sort of how you fight back. So I was quite, um, quite pleased sort of coming out of there, um, managing to sort of scrabble into that third, um, that third win, um, mm-hmm. to end the day on three wins. And I was slightly worried because Paul was also on three wins. Um, and we may wind up playing each other in the morning. And Paul and I are teammates, so we were sharing an Airbnb. And I genuinely went through my head, oh my God, does my room door lock? Um, because if we were playing each other the next morning, I was I was waking up being smothered in my sleep with a pillow. <laughs> Day anyway. two forfeit from James Darcy. Yeah, that's it. Bed in a ditch somewhere in London. Yeah. A reasonable um, fear. <laughs> I can tell you that, uh, yeah, Seamus with Whisper on him can be pr- pretty scary because uh, he's, if he has the cards, um, he can change things real quick and a red a red joker from Seamus um to your point James even with reduction and everything still results in anywhere from seven to nine points of damage um which um that can that can change the game plan a little bit so um Jamie how about you uh can you kind of give us an idea of how day one went for you what uh key takeaways maybe that you had and if um there was um you know anything that you think um uh may have possibly affected how you went into uh day two yeah, um, day one went well. Uh, there was, it was actually swung massively in round two when the game finished at like a crucial point. 
um, where where it, it it was a three point swing in the game, but it actually changed the the matchups massively. So yeah. I was I would have had to play um, Matt Lewin in round three, but actually the three points that I'd missed out on in round two had meant I didn't didn't have to play Matt, and Matt went on um, to play someone else. So it's it's swung swung the day massively. Which actually playing Matt day one would have been a, a really really tough match so it wasn't not it was uh, fortunate I didn't realize until afterwards I was quite I walked away from the game a little bit like oh no I've lost three points there uh, and then when we worked out actually that it had uh, it avoided me playing Matt who I was also traveling with similar to James and Paul um, I'd, I was quite quite glad of the situation <laughs> but um, Jamie I hear people you know obviously you know you're you're you know, whether you win or lose the game early in early rounds matters as far as, you know, who you match up with later and your diff matters and who you match up with later. Um, and I've heard people talk about, you know, uh, you know, trying not to have too big of a win round one and two so that you, uh, you know, don't get yourself pushed up into the kind of the higher tier of competition. Um, have you ever found yourself even thinking about that when you're playing a game? Uh, I end up playing most of the, uh, top people anyway whenever I go regardless of how well I'm doing I can lose a game and then still just get the worst matchup usually so I just I go for the I go for the points as much as I can get them because as uh as this tournament showed the VP diff can make or break your event (laughs) yeah yeah so any VPs you cheat yourself out of turn you know round one you can end up uh you're not getting the you know first or second place because of it. Uh, yeah, by the I end mean, of you it. can you can really screw yourself, and and it's not only that is you've you've got to be really really sure what matchup you're giving yourself if you're even considering it, because yeah. there's no telling that actually that other top player on the table down the road from you isn't going to randomly get a draw and then you end up playing against them. It's just you've mm-hmm. just got to go and get as many points as you can, try and win every game as best you can, and uh, so much is out of your control. So exactly, yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, what, uh, cause you're a reser player and so am I. So, uh, can you tell me what three masters you played? Uh, um, or it may not have been three different ones, but what masters did you bring to one, two, and three? Uh, yeah. So round one was plant explosives, which I took Molly to, uh-huh. um, round two was corrupted idols, which I took, uh, von Stuck and round three was turf war, which I also took von Stuck for. Very nice. So von Stuck twice and then Molly, um, Two, two strong masters. I like it. So, Paul, uh, day one, uh, three rounds. Um, uh, how did you finish after uh, three rounds? And uh, what were the t- key takeaways? So, yeah, I, I had a good uh, day one. Um, I, I got a, a new player round one, so it was kind of fairly relaxed start. Um, and then randomly, I got a partner uh, round two, uh, which was interesting. And is it in guild? So I, I thought I was in for another sort of relaxed game um, until uh, what was it? Uh, the lone marshal sort of uh, zoomed up and did run and gun and shot uh, uh, Shenlong for about six points of damage when he was already on sort of three while he did his thing. So. Uh, you know, I'm sort of uh, down on sort. I think I was down to four wounds. He got me to, uh, and at that point, Lady J had been brought up the table but hadn't activated. And, I, Yikes. and I'm like, oh no! <laughs> so yeah, that was you know kind of just thinking. Yeah, Guild, fine. I don't have a problem with Guild. Uh, Lady J, equally, I know she's better, but you know, again, not not 
I didn't perceive it as a threat, and boy, I felt very differently, sort of. Uh, uh, and this is all in turn, in, in, it was wedge deployment, so it was all in turn one. I'm thinking, oh my word. Sure. Um, and managed to recover it. Uh, Shanlong just spent turn one healing himself, um, and sort of then, you know, things sort of started to go the way I wanted them to. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was proper scary. Uh, I thought, you know, um, yeah. And Paul, I know that you had um, ten thunders uh, for the event. Was it truly you bringing ten thunders? Or was it just six rounds of Shenlong? Shenlong's the only thing I'm playing at the minute. Um, yeah. I've, you know, there were issues around uh, models that weren't available. Um, which is why would to, you play anything else though? All right. Uh, well, you know, I mean, to be honest, no. I mean, McCabe has got game, um, and yeah. Yang Lo is is also. Uh, uh, I've I've come up against uh, you know a well played Yang Yang Lo is is very very strong. So it, it, to be honest, it's just everything's available um, for Shenlong. Um, which I couldn't say the same for McCabe. And to be honest, I, I'd been in, I was moving into um, Neverborn um, and he, he, I ended up going back into uh, Ten Thunders because uh, I wasn't able to, able to play Nakima because the, um, the, the totem wasn't available uh, and I got a bit irritated about it, as I do. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, so Shenlong is just, and to be honest, Playing one master just gives you an edge because you you get into that relatively smooth mechanic, um, and you're less likely to sort of miss things that you can take advantage of. Um, so you know, yeah, yeah, uh, and and Shetland's quite good. And yeah, but I do think that suits your playstyle because it's something you've always done. Is you've you've kind of aimed to to focus on a master, whereas personally, I I prefer. You know, I like to spread out and focus on a faction. I think some of that is in the, the different player psychology. And I know Jamie sort of likes to sort of bounce around factions, but sort of focus on resas after mm-hmm. the event. I think that's fair to say. So I, I think sometimes it's about what suits individuals um, and their play style. For, for, for comp- well, and it's yeah. also good. For, Sorry, go. It's good for you too, Paul, because because uh, Shenlong is so flexible, right? So hey, you, you really aren't hurting yourself because Shenlong is very good, but really he he's playable in any pool. Yeah. Yeah. I've always liked the toolbox. Um, in M2E, I played primarily McCabe for the same reasons that, that high mobility, uh, and that ability to sort of change up the style, depending on what you end up facing on the table and, uh, and what your opponent is doing. Um, you know, that's just, yeah, it's what I enjoy. Okay, that's great. So, um, James, I know you have it handy. Uh, can you let us know kind of where uh, each of you were at the end of day one? Certainly. So, uh, so at the end of day one, Jamie was in first, um, three wins and up plus 10 difference. Paul was in nice. second, um, again, three wins and up plus seven difference. And I was in third, um, again, three wins and up four difference. Um, and we were the only three on three wins at that point. Interesting. So uh, I didn't. I guess I don't even think I realized that that the three of you guys were uh, 
essentially, uh, even though there was some swapping around by the end of the next three rounds, um, you guys all, you know, went into day two so strong. So that's great. That's great. Well, guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from the break, I want to kind of break this up and go round by round for the last three rounds. So we're going to get a little bit more detailed um, in how day two went. So we'll be right back. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Something I've always thought was kind of interesting is, um, you know, in, in the U.S., we often see just five, well, over a two day or it tends to be a five round tournament. And I think a lot of that is because um, of the amount of distances traveled that um, getting three rounds in on a Sunday, which is usually when day two is a little tough. But I've noticed that a lot of the two day events over in the U.K. Um, has uh, six rounds. Um, so you really, you know, you get two full two full sets. And obviously, the more rounds you play, the more things will shake out. And the amount of maybe luck in your matchups early um, tend to fall away uh, during that process. Um, uh, Jamie, do you have any, uh, any thoughts as far as, you know, playing six rounds versus five? Yeah. So a, a part of that is down to our ranking system. Um, where it awards you more points for more rounds. Um, uh, so you can get a maximum of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think it's 120. Paul will know for sure off the top of his head. Um, it's, it's 120. I've got the table open as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think it's 120 for a five-round, uh, 130 for a six-round, 140 for a seven-round, which is nationals. Um, and it's also the volume of players in some cases, just to make sure you get that sort of true winner. Um, but I think those points are right, aren't they, Paul? Or is that? So, it's, well, it depends on, obviously, if you've got 28, 28 players, um, and yeah, six rounds, it does make a heck of a difference in terms of, um, you know, your. Uh, yeah, it, it, you're only losing, you know, barely sort of five um, ranking points per per tier, starting off at 100, 130. So, you know, 130, 125, 121, etc. Um, so it does make it, it adds value. And it, particularly going down into sort of even at 10th, you're getting 93 ranking points, which you know, is, well, it's almost the same as winning a, a single day uh, that's got 20, 28 people at, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think that's what drives it. I mean, I have to say, I, I, it's not something that was, it was sort of, it's not something I'm particularly um, thrilled about. Actually, is driving the rounds that way. I'd rather move back to a one-day, one two-day distinction. But the, you know, it certainly encourages more, more rounds, uh, which is more Malifaux. And at the end of the day, I suppose to my my general maxim when it comes to any kind of competitive policy, it's like if it encourages more people to play more Malifaux, then it's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, more more is better. Um, and when do when do you guys usually finish up on a Sunday when you have a six rounder? 
Too late. Yeah. <laughs> it depends how drunk the TO got the night before. Um, <laughs> which, I'll, which I'll say is not a criticism of Tom, who ran the English GT, who is your consummate professional throughout and looks a lot like Bradley Cooper. Um, but uh, there's a compliment for you. But um, the. Um, but, but yeah, sort of occasionally you do get, uh, you do, you do, you do have a slower start on Sunday than you would like, uh, where, where people yeah. have had a, a hectic night before. Uh, and often well, let's talk about round, oh, sorry, <laughs> oh, round six ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about round four. Um, so the deployment was flank deployment and the strategy was reckoning. The, um, pool was detonate the charges, take prisoner, power ritual, outflank and vendetta. So a pretty killy strategy with only one scheme focus, um, with, uh, with the only one, so we have Achilles' strategy, and we have one scheme that focuses on removing models. Two of the schemes force you to keep the models alive, and two push you to the corners to score. Um, so, James, I know that you had an Arcanist on Arcanist battle um, against Matt, um, who's a friend of the show. Uh, you won four two. What um, can you walk us through? What happened? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, interestingly, when you know who you're playing the next day, there is always a bit of analysis sort of the night before. So um, I, I'd spent a bit of time thinking about, and I knew Matt had a number of options and probably was going to land, land playing either Hoffman or Keris. And I'd spent a little mm-hmm. bit of time figuring out how on earth a Keris mirror works because the, there's some really odd interactions in that matchup. So I'd spent a little bit of time figuring that out and then kind of what I wanted to do if it was Hoffman. Um, and it was Hoffman, and I played um, in the final round of the Scottish GT um, I, that Matt won. I played um, against Matt's Hoffman, so I'd kind of seen it before. Um, and I know he's been on the cast talking about Hoffman recently, which is a really nice episode and well worth a listen. Um, so kind of going into that, I kind of kind of knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to play Keris. Um, I wanted the mobility um, and the ability to stand off. I brought a December Acolyte um, to give me some armor ignoring, which helped. Um, and I knew I wanted to play um, Outflank and Power Ritual so that we could sort of play the edges. Um, yeah. And that caused the game to develop on three fronts. Probably there was a fight in the middle and a fight at either end, offset slightly. And I think what the game... The game turned probably on an activation decision um, in, I think, in turn two for Matt. So we got a position where um, Matt had Howard and Soulstone Minor in one corner um, looking to do power ritual out flank, and I had um, a spider swarm there um, and a Soulstone Minor ready to surface. Um, and then in the center ground, um, I, Joss was pretty badly injured fighting Karis and Iggy. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt got the initiative and chose to activate to heal um, Joss to keep him alive and keep him in the fight, which gave me the option um, to activate the swarm. I think he'd have been better off activating Howard and deleting my swarm. Um, Howard already yeah. had his grit turned on because he'd taken some damage already. Um, fortunately, my swarm was still over half wounds, so still had its positive to damage flips built oh, in. It's so brutal. So the swarm was able to just jump into Howard. Um, knocks him down to defense three, um, take, you know, goes in for the initial hit, manages to kill Howard, um, and then has the AP left to also kill the Soulstone Miner, which I'll grant you was performing a bit above average, um, even sure. for Swarm. Um, but it, um, and I should say the Swarm had a diesel engine, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, you know, vanilla Swarm. It was a 10 point model on, on an mm-hmm. enemy, but, um, it uh, able to delete that corner, which gave me my reckoning point for the turn, and effectively denied, um, you know, you know, made out flank and power, which were very, very difficult for Matt at that point. Um, and I think that turned the game. Now, do you remember, um, James, how many 
points of reckoning did you score? How many? How, how much of your four points were on uh, the strat? Uh, I got two one upon reckoning itself, um, and then a point each. Um, gotcha. Uh, on the other two to make it a, a four two. Um, Matt got one point of power ritual um, and uh, one point of reckoning. Yeah, it's it's really hard to get that third point in reckoning in general, but to try to get that third point against a Hoffman crew um, with somebody as qual- as quality a player as Matt is, um, that is that that is a tough third strategy point. Yeah. Um. So for uh, matchups of matchups, we have uh, Jamie and Paul playing each other. So I'm going to allow Paul to talk us through uh, what happened. I know Paul, you it was a tight game. Uh, I think you uh, lost just by a point. So uh, what was the matchup? Um, what was your thinking? going into it and uh how did it uh end up playing out in your mind uh so yeah um yeah i was playing shenlong uh which was no surprise to jamie uh jamie decided to take von stuck uh which um i was i wouldn't say i was expecting but you know i was kind of comfortable with uh, or at least it was before we played the game. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was one of those things. I'd faced Jamie very early on with Von Stuck, so I understood the sort of the mechanism for sort of loading up the Valedictorian and sort of shooting it into the crew to take something out high value, bring something in, and then have the um, the students or whatever they are come in with the by your side so i was sort of ready for what was going to come or at least i thought i was um and so i'd set my crew up um the the crew obviously it's a lot of support around shenlong with yasunori and or something else as a sort of secondary beta and then a lot of low value chaff which isn't necessarily ideal for reckoning but i figured against von stuck um i was going to create a situation where it was going to be challenging to get that kind of in and get something with value um so i kind of purposely um i had a number of um wandering river um, that are only five points, so they, they weren't going to get you much out. Um, and then I think it was sort of the next level. Oh, I had a, yeah, I had a, um, a, uh, charm warder, but I put the charm warder at the back out of range of the alpha strike. Um, so that effectively there was only chaff, Yasunori that isn't going to be something you can take down. Oh, well, it was unlikely he could take down Yasunori and wouldn't hit he, as good as the Valedictorian is, and then Shen Long. Yeah. So I set up like that and kind of hoped that the, the, the Valedictorian would be thrown in. Um, but Jamie sort of managed to uh, wrong foot me. Uh, he did the U. How so? How so? <laughs> well, I knew what was. I knew. Does it make more? Does it make more sense if I tell you what the valedictorian did, and then Paul talks about what he I, I, did afterwards? How I felt about yeah, it afterwards. Yeah, go on. <laughs> let's um, hear it, Jamie. So I hadn't played against Shen Long, so I wasn't. I obviously have heard a lot about him. There's a lot of chatter about him, um, and I, I, I had whilst not be really playing against him, I sort of understood how the setup worked for him, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I made a decision that activation two, I think, of turn one, I was just going to 
go for it and, and bank on valedictorian with one action being able to kill two, potentially three models. Um, so I went straight in for the, um, I, I can't remember what they're called, the Shenlong's totems. Um, yes, aspiring students, right? Yeah, so uh, Valley was fast, so she walked forward twice, charged into one of those. Um, I think I stoned for a shove aside to then move into a Wandering River Monk um, and then flurried onto the other aspiring. I killed. I ended up killing one of the aspiring students and the Wandering River Monk between um, Valedictorian's three attacks, which I was pretty happy with, and then that gave me that battery for then the undergraduates to jump in and kill the other Wandering River Monk, and I yeah. think I killed the Healing Monk as well with with another undergraduate. I think I think I killed four models turn one, which in reckoning isn't great. But what I wanted to do was basically pin Paul's crew for as long as I could, knowing that Shenlong could more or less kill anything he wanted to in my crew, but pin it right. there for long enough to to score some points and get up in the game. So, so two things there real quick, Jamie. Um, one, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Von Stuck and f- with Transmortis, so, um, you know, you have a way to give fast. Um, he takes Valvictorian and then he takes her in there. She's got shove aside, which gives you another extra attack. And because she's a hench, she can stone for it. Uh, she has flurry, but the big key there is the by your side. So if you've got undergraduates, you can now use her as the node to bring in those undergraduates, which honestly, they hit pretty good for their weight um, and the, the ability to essentially get you know two or three models right in the middle of their stuff uh, is pretty brutal. The one other question I have for you though, Jamie, is um, at that point, are you concerned about a counterattack from Shenlong or uh, from Yasunori? Or are you just saying, hey, I'm going to send the Val in there. She's going to do as much as she can and I'm going to pop some students in there and just see how it plays out. So I, I, what, what I thought would happen is that I would lose Valedictorian and maybe an, an undergraduate. Yeah. Um, which is is what happened. Um, I, it, but it was it would it set the 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 whole idea behind it was how far it would set Paul back in the game, right? Um, so and that, and that and it more or less did what it needed to because actually in in the grand in the grand scheme of things, reflecting on the game, actually it put me in a really vulnerable position. Um, but it but it it enabled me to play a game I was comfortable with because I wasn't really sure what Shenlong did mm-hmm. um, in terms of how he would actually play on the table past the theory of it. Um, whereas now, if I went in, in, into that game again, I probably wouldn't play it that way. But it was what enabled me to do was set the terms of the game um, yep. to Paul and then be able to go out. And because I knew I'd taken Power Ritual outflank, pinning Paul in his deployment zone for a turn and then my, the rest of my crew spreading out to the flanks, I was comfortable with. So, Paul, that sounds like that was a ton of fun for you. Uh, at the time, it was one of those, I mean, it was a surprise. Um, but I, to be honest, you know, I, 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 at, at the end of turn one, I was very comfortable with where I was. Because I, I, I decided to kill the valedictorian uh-huh. um, because, you know, it's a threat. Um, I'd killed in, yep. you'd summoned in, I think, uh, um, a necropunk off the, uh, off killing the, uh, wandering river. So that died. Um, so there'd been nothing summoned in effectively. Um, and I think I had two, uh, students in, in amongst my crew. Um, but that crew included a full strength Shenlong, a full strength Yasunori. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Sensei Yu, which, you know, he do, you know, he's got game and he's drawing cards. Um, so whilst the damage he does is incidental, the fact he draws four, assuming he hits, he draws four cards, um, giving you the resources you need to sort of really maximize Shenlong and Yasunori. Um, so, you know, to be honest, it, I, I, I wasn't worried at, at, at the beginning of turn two. Um, I'd been set back because I'd mm-hmm. lost my both wandering river monks, which are you know the speed that I get off um, uh, in Shenlong. Um, but you know, in terms of what resources were left on the table at that point, I was facing von Stuck and uh, Lovelace and a few and some other chaff. And I'd lost my scheme runners, but I still had the the killy element of my crew, and we were playing reckoning. So, um, how did how did you know the next couple turns play out for you then, Paul? So, you know, you 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 know, you took some damage, but it sounds like you made Jamie pay for that. Um, what do you think was the difference maker um, as far as the results, like the way the rest of the game played out? Uh, just, I mean, I, I, I decided I, I took Power Ritual as well. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think I took, Jamie, maybe you can remember better. Did I take a Vendetta? Uh, I'm not actually sure. I don't have, I've, had the only, I've only got a score for Power Ritual for you. I don't have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, what I mean, I know I took Power Ritual. I think I, you might have taken out Flank, didn't you? Because that's where the Wandering River Monk was trying to go. Yeah, could, 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 yeah, could have been, yeah. Um, although I never attempted, so I'd you know, assuming I'd taken it would have made most sense to uh, thinking about it. Power each mm-hmm. outflank. So um, at that point, I couldn't score outflank uh, in the sense of I hadn't got anything fast enough. I'd, I'd sort of I was I'd, I'd already gone heavy towards the right of the table. Um, so getting a, a model over on the left, and it, it's possible with uh, Shenlong, but very difficult without his um, stu- aspiring yeah. students. So uh, what I decided to do was just go heavy into one side and, you know, make sure I got my um, my power ritual and I was expecting outflank. So it was a case of, you know, I had the ability to dominate one flank, which I didn't get do quite fast enough. Uh, Jamie got... Um, power ritual, um, I think, and outflank in turn two, um, and I, I didn't have an, I, I didn't have enough to stop that right. happening, or I, I couldn't get over into that corner to stop it happening quickly enough. Um, so, Paul, do you have any advice for um, those out there that are uh, when they when they when their opponent declares von Stuck? Um, did you have any takeaways about you know how to handle because uh, he's his transporters are strong. Um, so did, did you learn anything in the process or any tips you can give for people to play against it? I, I mean, to be honest, it, to, to some extent it's, it's a one trick pony. It's, it's quite, it's very strong, but it's like I throw the valedictorian at you and then, you know, bring my other sort of killy secondary models in, off the back of that and mm-hmm. uh, and it's and of course it's that you you know that ability to summon something usually a bit meatier um off the valedictorian kill so the, you know there's there's that flip of you know you kill an eight point model and bring in an eight point model that's such a huge 
at shifting resource. Yeah. And the fact you can then back it up with, you know, they're not isolated because you can bring in the, um, the students on the yeah. back, the undergraduates, sorry. Um, so I, to be honest, I, you know, the way I set up was right. Um, that, that would have worked eventually. Um, it was a gamble and it, it's a gamble that sort of only just paid off. Yep. Um, you know, that by the, the end of the game, um, you know, it was the game was going in a, a different direction. It just, we just didn't get there. Mm-hmm. And Jamie, you know, you mentioned that, you know, in hindsight, you may have wanted to do things a little bit different. Um, you know, uh, according to uh, a Weird Place post, Shenlong's unbeatable, uh, but apparently he's not. Um, so what, <laughs> what was kind of your key takeaways? So I think it's quite important to clarify here, and Paul's being quite a gentleman to uh, not say it, but actually we only got three turns in, and, and uh, from where we were in the game, I think Paul probably would have won if we got five turns in. So um, my the, the, the going in and pinning Paul in his deployment zone was great and actually did what I needed to do because it allowed me to score points early, um, but it left me vulnerable towards the end of the game because actually although I'd killed a lot of Paul's models for scheming, he just had powerhouses still on the board, whereas I'd lost a lot yeah. of my my killing potential. Um, but Shenlong, like now I know what he does. He's yeah, he's he is scary. He is really really strong. Um, I I wouldn't have played it. I, I wouldn't play it that way again. I would do something similar because actually the the valedictorian going in with the support is great. And the problem with Shenlong is that I, there's nowhere I can go. I can't move forward and set up and be ready and sort of yeah. set myself up for a turn two assault because Shenlong will get there. He's just got the most mm-hmm. ridiculous reach. Oh, that's um, unbelievable. So I, I'm not sure that going in all guns blazing was a bad idea. I just mm-hmm. think, and, and it was just about picking that fight. And I was never going to kill Shenlong or Yasunori um, or Sensei Yu with the amount of stones Paul had. So it made sense for me to go for the chaff. Um, and then just try and run my schemes. Um, I think the only thing I would have done differently was probably um, put the upgrade onto Anna um, or the student of Viscera so that they could then summon something bigger later in the game um, rather than waste it on a Necropunk turn one. Yeah, I I would say, um, having played a a second game against Von Stuck, he is the best choice versus um Shen Long I would I would have I would think. Um his sort of six inch aura where you shut down the upgrades. Yeah. Com- it almost completely neutralizes Shen Long. Um and you know I, I to be honest, I think if you could play within that aura, um it, you know, uh that that that's good. I'm I'm not exactly sure how I would cope with that um, yep. in another game. It's definitely good against. It's definitely good against Shenlong. It's just in, in that scheme pool. There's no way we're playing in a bubble in the centre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there was the best schemes. The best schemes in there by far for the for the strat and the deployment are power rich and outflank. Um, so it was. I think it was always going to go that way, and I couldn't really rely on it. I wanted to play Jack because it's a Jackdaw game, but the the lack of demise abilities uh, from Charm Orders scared me off of Jack. Oh, I can imagine. So, and you know, you had a bit of an advantage there too, Jamie, because you knew you knew uh, what Master was going to get declared, which is 
you know, a little bit of a downside to Paul's approach. Um, I think there's a ton of upside to what Paul does, you know, soloing a master because, uh, you become very good at it and it allows you to, I think, play the game more than just play your crew. Um, but, uh, you know, you knowing that you're going to be facing the monk crew, um, saved you from potentially, um, making a bad pick with, uh, with Daw. Uh, James, the game with you and Matt, uh, how many rounds did you guys get through? I don't recall and I didn't make notes. Um, I've got a, on, on that, that's probably the only thing I didn't write down. Well, do you remember um, if you guys finished it? Did you get to round five? We, we certainly didn't get round of five. Um, I yeah. think we might have got four. Um, time was fairly tight on the day. So here's a question, and I'll start with James, but I'm anxious to hear Paul and Jamie's thoughts. Um, and obviously, we don't know exactly, but like ballpark, guys, how, how far away are we from seeing more complete games in, in tournaments under time, do you think, James? I I... I... I I, th- I think we're we're probably one of those things where where people are playing summoners and where we've got quite complex games. I think we are always going to struggle for time. I I'm coming round to the idea that actually probably two hours fifteen is a lot better than two hours. Yeah. I think if we were playing two hours fifteen, you'd see a lot more. Two hours twenty, you'd see a lot more games finishing because those last two turns tend to be fairly rapid um, and sort of certainly relative. Most of the game occurs in turn two and turn three, I think. Um, and certainly the bulk of the time of the game. So I think another 15 minutes in, in round times would probably be what it needs to, to sort of start to see it regularly get get into four and five. Um, and, you know, and I think that'd probably be healthier, but I appreciate obviously there are constraints on the, uh, you know, there are constraints on the time of the day. Yeah. How about you, uh, Paul? Do you think that, um, do you think, we're close to people getting familiar enough with their crews and and the game to start seeing some more uh, game fives. Or are we going to be a year and a half from now and still only seeing people finish, you know, turn three, turn four? <laughs> My games, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, I, I've got a really horrible reputation for being slow, and you know, I, I can be, uh, and it doesn't help that I'm playing pretty complex crews that that tend to have a high model count, uh, and, and not just high model count, a lot of stuff going on. It, 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 yeah. it you know, a lot of my crews do not simply go walk focus or walk charge or anything nonsense like that. There's lots of interlocking parts. Um, so I, I think um, James is correct. I, I think we're, the game is in a great place, but I think you need – um, more time to get a decent number of rounds in uh, on a reliable basis, unless you, you're smashing your opponent, which in good play doesn't happen that much. Um, right. You know, it, 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 you know, we the game is complex. You know, that's what makes it fun. There's lots of choices to make, um, and you know, making the right choice sometimes takes a little time. So yep. I, th- I think two fifteen is is a more realistic um, standard de- time play, and we do that, uh, and we speed up a bit. And yeah, uh, you know, round three and round four, I, they will be my friends. <laughs> I, I was just going to come in quickly on that, and something I probably should have said as well is I think what's helping um, at the moment is most events are providing objectives in advance, which at least allows people to consider what yep. it is that they're going to bring which does save, you know, probably does save five minutes crunch at the start of games. 
mm-hmm. um, and also allows a lot more banter and, and sort of fun up front as people, you know, and a lot more practice games. It sort of, I think it generally is quite a positive thing. Um, I don't think our nationals is doing that this year. So I'm going to be quite interested to see what that does to impact the, you know, the amount of time available as well. Um, and sort of, you know, number of rounds people are getting in because again, not having that advance is probably something where we're going to see, you know, potentially having a knock on effect, particularly where games are quite close and players are quite skill matched. So that's brutal. I didn't realize that. So you're not going to get the pools ahead of time for nationals. That's certainly my understanding. Wow. Um, Jamie, do you agree? Do you think we need to start looking at maybe extending the round times uh, for uh, M3E or do you think it's just the newness hasn't worn off yet? Um, I'd like to see it extended. Um, I think that there should always be enough time to get as many turns in as you can and it is hard um, sometimes, especially like in mine and Paul's game where so much happened turn one. Yeah. Um, and you're asking a lot of questions, and actually every decision you make is important in in those those, especially on the top tables in the later rounds. You do need to be sure of what you're doing, so you're asking clarifying questions, and you're making sure of things because you're not as familiar with. Like from in my case, I didn't know what Shenlong, I didn't know all of Shenlong's rules. Paul certainly had only played Albus once, so probably wouldn't be super familiar with him. So you do end up with a lot of questions, a lot of time for stuff like that. But actually, you need to be able to do that in the game so it's um yeah i would like to see more time a part of it will wear off as everyone learns what things do and you learn not only what your own models do but what your opponent's models do and how those rules work um and then that will speed the game up slightly but i still think it's it is a complex game and it's not going to hurt to have 215 um yep. as, as your standard round time i wouldn't i wouldn't even say that it would be out of the question to ask for 2.15 plus 10 minutes to choose your crew. Um, I think you can fit that in at a day, and I think a lot of events put give you a pl- give you more time for, say, lunch breaks than you need, and actually yeah. you could shave some time there to add on to, to the round times to make sure everyone gets a quality game. Well, and there's all the shuffling around, right? Getting to the table, finding out your matchups, the packing and unpacking. Um, anybody who's ever seen me play, I, I think I've got, you know, seven pounds worth of kit that I bring to the table because I love gadgets and stuff like that. Um, I love uh, I love two and a half hour rounds. Um, and it, um, you know, if you if you can finish before that, that gives you some more time to mentally unpack. Um, you know, but the big restriction is is literally time uh, being able to start early enough and you know, go long enough. Um, so yeah, I'm with you guys on that. Well, let's take a quick break and let's, um, when we get back from the break, let's talk about round five. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. 
We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Okay, so now second to last round, um, the pairings are getting intense. Um, you know, the one thing about having the three of these guys to be finishing in the day one podium, um, you know that there's going to be clashes with each other come day two. Um, and a lot of times the way it shakes out is you end up obviously not having the same top three at the end of uh, end of day two. So it's uh, real interesting to see that, you know how this played out. Um, so let's talk about round five. It was uh, standard deployment with turf war. Breakthrough, harness the ley line, hold up their forces, power ritual, and assassinate. So, turf war um, in standard deployment um, tends to be a pretty tight game. Uh, you have one scheme that looks for you to uh, knock out the leader, so very killy. The three of them have you dropping markers to score, so they're kind of competing with each other as far as you know action efficiency. And then uh, you've got one that's having you uh, hold up the models and keep the opponent's models alive in order to score. So, Paul, you ended up playing uh, Carl Lee's Resurrectionist, and Carl's a friend of the show, um, and it ended up being a tie. Uh, can you kind of walk us through that uh, game? Yeah, yeah. So, um, Carl was playing Kirai. Uh, so, uh, it was one of those games where um, lots of stuff happened and very little got achieved. Okay. Um, so, you know, effectively what happened, we we, mo- we we both moved forward doing our thing. Um, he summoned in um, something um, and pushed his sort of Killian models forward. And obviously um, the uh, totem is sort of there, sort of causing a problem insofar as, um, you know, you, you – as I would normally deal with something like that, killing it doesn't work because it just yep. comes back. Um, it was one of those we kind of we, we squared off in in the middle of the board um, and just failed. I think would be the only way to describe it. Um, I sort of sent Shen along in um, along with Yasunori. Um, I had the support of the Charm Warders because obviously there was summoning models. So there was that threat of, of getting the um, uh, exercise uh, trigger um, mm-hmm. and making something die just instantly without anything. And I, I think I did achieve that once. Um, but it was a really strange game um, insofar as um, Shenlong, just, Shenlong and Yasunori just couldn't kill anything, which, you know, it's just not how it's supposed to work. Um, I couldn't explain it. It wasn't that I had particularly bad luck um, and Carl had good luck. It was just, for both of us, the luck just seemed to come at the wrong time. So whenever there was that sort of critical need to push through an attack or, or, or get a, hit a moderate, it just never seemed to happen. That that was what I found. But then I, I think Carl was sort of experienced the same thing on his side. Um, I mean, there was a sort of crazy situation where um, I'd sent in the charm warder to do, you know, an attack. Um, 
and just decided to do its its uh, free action that does the pulse, causing people to sort of flip cards and take damage mm-hmm. if you know you get you choose the right suit. Well, of course, not a single suit came up. But poor old Carl, yeah, yeah. But poor old Carl had to discard, I think, three severes and a red joker. Oh boy! And he was not happy. Which you know, and it was that kind of dumb luck. But you know, in some sort of weird negative world where, and we just ended up not getting anything done. I mean, you yeah. know, we were, you know, turf war. Um, you know, obviously you, you score points in your backfield, which is fine. Um, Carl, you know, to be honest, Carl probably had the momentum of the, of the game, um, and was, was heading for a win. Uh, and again, you know, there were issues around time because, things weren't getting killed and obviously Carl was brick summoning stuff in and what have you, you know, we both had high model counts and, and, um, you know, I think we only got as far as turn three. Um, and it was, it was one of those, in fact, actually we were only partway through turn three. Mm -hmm. Um, and last activation got called Carl finished what he was doing and I activated Chen Long. And at that point, Carl was ahead, very much so. Um, and I just looked at the board and it was like, right, okay, Shen. Um, and I was I was able to sort of use those three AP along with the kind of z- uh, free action that can uh, trigger an interact. So you really got four AP if you score it, if you're trying to score. And I managed to push him off a turf war marker and flip mm. the turf war marker Um to draw the game and it was literally just that activation flipped it um so uh yeah it, it, was, it was just one of those games you know i don't think either of us particularly enjoyed it in the sense that there was just so much frustration yeah. and we just couldn't get purchase into you know our respective plans it's so tough, Paul, because you know uh, three rounds of Malifaux is a lot different than five rounds, and playing playing for three rounds, which is what you you know don't know necessarily going into it, is tough. And sounds like you had a bit of a a, a frustrating slap fest that happened there. But uh, boy, oh boy, if you only have one activation left, there's few models better to have it with than Shen Long, um, just because he uh, he can he can score some points in just one activation. So the other matchup we have is we have James and Jamie battling it out in round five so james let's start with you uh what was the matchups and uh how did the game look from your side of the table yeah so um so turf war into uh into jamie's an interesting game um and i wasn't totally sure which way he'd go um but i was worried about um i was worried about von stuck so i decided to go sandeep because he's less vulnerable to being uh, stunned Mm-hmm. Um, rather than Keris, because I could play either of those into that uh, into that objective. So, so went that way. Um, unfortunately, guessed right um, that Jamie was going to play Von Stuck, and then it was into kind of crew selection, and that um, that again was probably where some some key decisions were made. I decided to stay off fire because Von Stuck kills fire golems like nobody's business. Um, yep. That's something I've learned to my cost um, in previous games, but uh, not wrong footed this time and. So between that, um, and so so went for ice with Sandeep, which which gave me a bit of a, a bit of things there, and then I had to sort of choose between starting with the golem 
um, which probably in hindsight would have been the right move. Um, and putting mag magical training on Sandeep, um, which gives him a bit more protection against assassinate. Yep. And I don't know. I don't know if Jamie was planning assassinate from the pool. That's something probably he can help with. But um, it sort of it sort of decided to try and protect Sandeep off assassinate rather than uh, than run that risk. Given I know Jamie likes an aggressive playstyle. Um, I'll always consider assassinate. Um, I probably just the um, the shielded he gives himself would probably have been enough to turn me away from. Uh, assassinate on him. What did you end up picking scheme-wise then, Jamie? Um, breakthrough and power ritual, because okay. scheme schemes with by your side is always good. Phil, did um, did him picking Sandy factor into your crew build at all? Um, not really. I I, I expected. I was expecting Karis, uh, just because I know James is very well practiced with Karis, and it's a good Karis strat. Um, but I can understand if the whole uh, fire golem issue with Von Stuck. <laughs> but yeah, so I wasn't expecting um, the ice. If I'd, if I'd got a read on uh, the ice elementals, I would have taken a student of steel, but I, I assumed he would stick with fire for some reason. <laughs> All right, good. Um, so Jamie, um, from your side of the table, how, how, does the, how does the game play out? So first of all, how many rounds did you guys finish? Um, we got through three, three, got through yeah. three. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it ends up being a tie. Um, uh, Jamie, is there anything, anything you think you could have done over those three turns that would have uh, changed that to a win? Um, there was a, yeah, there was a couple of key bits. So the game actually swung massively. So turn one, it swung. Um, so it was a bit fluky in my favor. Um, I, uh, sent Valedictorian in and killed a Soulstone Miner, which for the investment was probably fair. Um, but then I got very lucky killing a Ice Gammon with Anna um, at range, which I think it was down to like a double severe on a, and a neg flip for damage, which took it off, which stopped James getting a Golem turn one, That's which was big. a big swing. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of turn two, it swung back around where Valedictorian went down very cheaply um, to just endless moderates on negs uh, coming mm -hmm. back to bite me in the ass after <laughs> killing the ice gammon. Um, so it, the game swung like over turn one and two back and forth a bit. And then, um, yeah, just I don't, I'm not actually sure where it would have gone if we'd uh, carried on, but it was pretty, it seemed, felt pretty even as we were continuing. Um, and I'd have felt pretty comfortable going, carrying on into it. But yeah, it, so it was, it was a pretty action packed first three turns. Yeah, it sounds like it, James. And I haven't played against Sandeep yet. Um, any kind of tips or thoughts on uh, you know what to, what you're facing there and what to watch out for? Um, I mean, there's a number of things. I think probably one of the things that's, that's often sort of underpriced is is or sort of underconsidered is his ability to tell his, his stuff to do things. Um, mm -hmm. And that obey is often as, as potent as the summer and and, and the toss on Banasuva. Um, I'm rapidly coming around to the belief that toss is probably one of the best and most undervalued abilities in the game. And I think there was a moment, I think I surprised Jamie by tossing the spider swarm 10 inches across the board at Valedictorian, which he was not expecting, I don't think, um, as it just sort of slides across casually to go. And, and that was what ended up deleting Valedictorian on turn two. 
yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I uh, I've like I've seen toss um, from another Arcanist model, Kojo, mm. and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an excellent ability, but it, it ties into things that we've talked about on the show a million times. Is um, you know positioning and movement efficiency is a really big deal in three, just because of the structure of the uh, the way the strats and the schemes work. Um, Jamie, any other key points or takeaways from uh, your game with uh, James? Um, I think only how it ended, which was uh, James uh, managed to deny me a breakthrough turn two, and had uh, and then I'd sort of set myself up to get it turn three, and uh, thought thought I'd more or less got it, and then on the last activation of turn three, James walked something along uh, to get himself. Um, uh, what was it you took? Uh, hold up the forces and deny me breakthrough. And I and, and I looked at the ball going. I thought, oh, I've probably got it here. I think I've won it. And then that, that swung it, denied me a point, and got him a point. And I was like, oh no! Nah. And like we we saw we looked at it and gone, well, James has won by a point. And then uh, James was just looking at the board. And he goes, uh, gets his measuring stick out, and actually, where where von Stuck places scheme markers as he's killing things, and actually, I'd placed a, another scheme marker. I'd managed to sort of inadvertently and flukily put three scheme markers down uh, in his deployment zone to to score the end of game point of breakthrough to bring it back to a draw. Um, Whoa, what a gentlemanly thing for James to point out. <laughs> Wow. I, I'm not going to lie. I considered staying quiet for, for, for possibly longer than is gentlemanly, but uh, but no, it was uh, it was only fair. You're not saying you're not capable of it, James. You just didn't do it, right? <laughs> I like to think I'm better than that. Um, at oh, least that's funny. most days of the week, but uh, but certainly uh, certainly it was uh, one of those. It's a shout out to something that, uh, Jamie, you talked about on the deep dive is that uh, that inadvertent uh, ski marker dropping that you get from Von Stuck um, comes into a, a play a lot more than when you think about it and just look at the cards. Yeah, super solid, super solid. It's interesting to have the situation you guys were in. So, I mean, at this point, um, you know, you've, Paul, you've played Jamie. Jamie's played. Um, uh, James, we've got some ties going into that. So, um, how things matched up into the round six and then really how things ended up uh, filling out are interesting. So when we get back from this break, let's talk about the final round. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new third floor wars gadget bundle from Schooner labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. so last round now all the battles between the three of you are, are finished so now it's just a matter of how strong you can um you know finish things off uh here that's going to determine who's going to make podium and we already know that you guys did so let's talk about round six uh it's a corner deployment with plant explosives it's got breakthrough dig their graves outflank assassinate and claim jump and um with plant and corners you have a lot of choices right so what do you what are you going to do are you going to spread out 
Are you going to focus on just one area of the opponent's field, which obviously is a lot easier to defend? Um, but uh, you got two schemes that focus on um, uh, killing. You've got one that's pushing you into the middle, one pushing you to neutral corners, and one pushing you to the opponent's corner. So there's a lot of really interesting choices. I thought this was a very interesting pool. Um, Paul, um, we're going to talk about you playing Bayou and uh, that being a, a win against Reese. But first, I want to know, you know, what was your thoughts going into this pool? Um, I was... C- I was comfortable. Um, you know, the, the mobility game, um, Shenlong loves because of the, um, because of the Wandering River Monks and, um, because the Wandering River style, I've got huge mobility. So, you know, starting off in a corner mm-hmm. does not frighten me unless the board is very problematic. Um, and the fact that my opponent is going to have to move uh, what I tend to be able to do is react um, in the sense that, you know, if I see one side or the other um, being where I want to be um, to sort of try and get, create an asymmetric sort of game on one side of the board. Yeah, kind of that denied flank concept, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, in flank deployment, it tends to be a bit obvious because – People are already kind of where they are, um, and you can't actually take advantage of that so easily. But in corner, um, you know, people tend to um, end up committing, um, and the minute they do, particularly if they split their forces, um, I can decide to dominate one flank, which, you know, is our tend to play it. Well, and that's just, I would imagine, Paul, that's just a matter of deciding which side Shen Long goes on, right? So you could kind of, you know, split split your forces relatively easily and then wherever Shen Long ends up and he can get wherever he needs to be, I think would, would cause that imbalance. Yeah, yeah. And particularly with, um, you know, you know Yasunori is so quick as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you 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 can really kind of just completely, even if um, a player has gone heavy into one side, you you know the as long as they you know they've done they've split the forces some degree, be able to dominate that. It, it makes it easier to, to right. dominate is the long and the short of it. So, um, you know, from a, from the point of view of the deployment and the schemes, plan explosive I love, um, and, you know, sort of um, outflank is, is, again, a sort of a, a good game for me. Um, you know, I was comfortable. Good, good. And, and what uh, what uh, keyword or master did a respring? Well... <laughs> I was comfortable about the about the the schemes and strats. I was a little worried about the fact I was going to Bayou. Um, you know, I, I haven't played them much, um, and uh, I, I've been surprised just how effective um, some of the keywords are, um, and there's some I just haven't a clue about. Uh, so, um, Reese, uh, I was incredibly. Um, relieved when he declared zip um Uh which you know okay it made a lot of sense in terms of you know the the board and uh, and and the game um but but zip is the one master that i have played a little bit of um not just in bayou but also in uh outcasts so um as soon as he did that the kind of that helped me a lot in terms of 
um, understanding what I was facing. Um, and the, the, the thing with Zip is um, obviously he's got that incredibly powerful uh, defense trigger, um, which I can just shut down with um, Mast Agent. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that, you know, it was one of those where the, the game was largely decided in the um, uh, in the declaration of masters uh, and mm-hmm. team choice. So I, I I sort of took my my normal crew, um, but I put mast agent onto Shen Long, and critically I also put mast agent onto um, Yasunori. Um, oh, that's nice. That, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> Yeah, nice isn't perhaps the right word, uh, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So you know, we got into it. Um, you know, he he split his forces um, with Zip um, and um, well, about half his models went one way, half the models went the other. So I went heavy to my left. Um, got into. Um, he had uh, an Iron Skeeter, um, Bert Jedson, and who am I going to – what was the other sort of uh, – there was definitely Bert there. He didn't last very long. Oh, yeah. I'm sure first uh, mate. Second. Uh, yeah, the I'm first, sure mate, first mate. The, the first mate was on the other side of the board, and I was real Got pleased it. about that, um, along with Keris. Uh, Keris, uh, the, 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 the rocket, the one with the rocket strapped to her back. Um Oh, yeah, I can't think of Gizmo and Am. Maris. I know who you're talking about. Maris, Maris thank sorry. You. Yeah, Maris rather than Kerry. So Maris and, uh, and Zip and uh, the first mate went to his left, my right, and then the rest of his crew um, went over to, on his right side, my left. So I went heavy into mm-hmm. the left and just just destroyed him. He had McTavish, that was his other model, um, on that side of the, the board, and I just went straight in. Uh, smash McTavish, uh, kill Bert. The Iron Skeeter was in the far corner, but was isolated. Um, and the the game sort of turned. This would this would have been sort of round two. Um, you know, he he dropped two of his bombs over on this side. Um, I think I see a lot of players in in games like with planet explosives. Um, and and idols that are very fast, and what they tend yeah. to do is sort of get over and and do too much in round one and round two, mm-hmm. and then they're sort of trying to get ahead in terms of the tempo. But what I'll tend to do is let them do that shit, and then just go into them with my crew. Uh, at which point, and this, this is exactly what happened. He dropped two bombs down. I'm going to say turn two. Um, and so I just killed all his models and then had the ability to grab those bombs. Clean them up after yeah. that, yeah? Yeah. So in in reacting to that, uh, and I had taken Assassinate um, against Zip, um, so he decided he needed to sort of try and, and do something over on that, you know, try and um, – interfere on some level with what was going on over there. So he, he shot Zip over 
um, which was a huge mistake because he was then in range of um, Yasunori. And I think he'd forgotten. Yeah. Uh, the, he obviously, he knew the upgrade was on, but I think he was too, so focused on Shenlong and Shenlong having that upgrade um, that he, he forgot about Yasunori. So Yasunori came in, did some serious damage on him. Uh, and then my um, my students came in and, and beat the crap out of him as well. And because it's, <laughs> and because it's an aura, um, yeah. poor old uh, Z- yep. Zip actually got killed with a broom attack. Wow. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you you disable that defensive tech on Zip, and he is not that hard to bring down at that point. Um, and, you know, the speed that you get with Yasunori and um, Shenlong and having that tech pick um, really to bring that uh, through – um, and you being able to just wipe sides of the board is great. I think it's real interesting what you're saying, though, Paul, because we hear a lot on the podcast about, um, you know, you, you want to seed your points early um, and get them out there so that you can, you know, react and play defense. But I think your perspective is an interesting one, which is, you know, once you've seeded all those points out there, um, you've tipped your hand a little bit. Um, and then, you know, you're giving you're giving more information in the process. Um, so I think it's it's interesting, those kind of those two different um uh, perspectives. Um, James, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that'll come up again in my game. Um, is that sort of actually getting because bombs are safer generally when they're in someone's hands um, right. and getting them down too early, particularly where they're on. You know, it's very difficult in a in a proper game of explosives where both of you have fast crews, uh, and particularly where you're you're much quick. You know, you're both very agile, very quick. Once yep. a bomb's on the table, it's fairly vulnerable, um, and so not dropping them when you don't need them down is probably probably is a waste. Um, so I, I'd really echo Paul's point there, and I think I think for me, it probably you get away with it where you're playing at a lower level, and when one of you can really build um, a very fast crew and the other can't, mm-hmm. um, and then you can use space much more effectively to you know, to protect your bombs. I don't think you can expect to do that on the top tables at the end of an event. And I think that's something probably to watch out for. No, that's interesting. Well, James, let's roll right into your uh, matchup. So you got a chance to play Carl um, and uh, mm. in Rezzers. You won 6-2. Um, you know, again, I thought this pool was really interesting. So uh, i first like to know, you know, what did you bring and what did Carl bring as far as keywords? Uh, so I brought Sandeep um, and, and Carl brought uh, Molly. Uh, so, and I, I played against Carl a couple of times. He's, he's a great tier. I know you've had him on the show, um, you know, runs a lot of local events. So, you mm-hmm. know, really great to play against Carl. We were playing on a streamed, um, one of the stream, you know, the stream table at the event, which was interesting. And I get a little bit paranoid with that sort of thing because we were talking about, um, you know, I think, I think as we, we had, we had a brief chat offline about making mistakes. And I think, um, it's one of these things, Malifaux is such a complex game. I don't think anyone yeah. plays a game of Malifaux where they don't make at least one rules error somewhere yeah. or do some positioning thing or whatever. And it's, it's quite difficult when, when you're then, then it's being recorded and watched back. And I know other met, other games have had problems in the past where people have made mistakes on, on sort of on streamed games and then had a, you know, then had to deal with a witch hunt after the event. So I was probably a little bit slow through this game, partly explaining right. what I was doing to the audience and partly trying to remember not to swear and par- partly um, <laughs> trying to make sure I wasn't going to then be in trouble for having made a, a terrible error at some point. Um, or or, or not yell free, uh, free Hong Kong. 
<laughs> Revolution in our time. That's um, right. The, uh, the, the sort of, I think at that point you're supposed to go hide under a desk though, Craig, um, and then get fired anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if I should give my, my, my views on that whole situation. but That's uh, a whole separate podcast, my friend. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> um, but fortunately, no one here is relying on the Chinese government for an income, so we can, yeah. we can say what we think. Um, and, uh, they, anyway, so I think me and Carl have this weird habit when we play. For some reason, we wound up, we, last few times we've played, we wound up playing in corner deployment where one of the corners is a pig to get out of. And I'm probably yeah. only remembering that because it seems to be me that gets stuck in that corner. Um, but so that that added a bit of a bit of challenge. But uh, fortunately, Banner Suva's task that I know we've, we've talked about earlier, yeah. combined with sort of some speed um, that I, I hired in out of keyword for Sandeep, really gave me gave you know let me get out of um, get out of the terrain um, mm-hmm. quickly and get across the board. And, and to what Paul was saying. Carl found this, I think Carl had a few things where he'd taken quite an elite crew. He'd taken a rogue necromancy archie um, and the dead rider. Oh, um, wow. Who had bombs. A really quite elite crew. And the potential was like Archie had, the way the game played out, Archie wound up having to drop a bomb on turn two to get the, you know, to get his point in that turn, which kind of created this weird thing because I could leave Kandara nearby. And it's like, right, the moment you move, Mm-hmm. I'm getting that bomb, and that, that mm-hmm. caused him. That sort of started to cause him in real challenges. To what Paul was saying, one of the things I like about Sandeep in Explosives is wind gamming. Have that wonderful ability, demise ability that when they're killed, they get to place a friendly model um, within eight inches of them, within four inches of themselves. So it's what you can quite do do quite nicely in a Sandeep crew is have the, have a wind gamming guard something like a bomb. Your opponent kills the the wind gammon as Carl did in in our game, and then something else just go right. Well, I'm going to go stand on that bomb now. Now, what you're going to yeah. do? And it yeah. creates that. It, it can make it quite difficult. That combined with the Sandeep's ability to um, push a friendly elemental and two inches and make them take an action means that there's a lot of ability to move. You know, to sort of reposition on the fly in the crew. Right. Um, and, and sort of get models where you need to be if you need to cover bombs, which makes it uh, make, makes it a bit easier. Um, and and that just that combined with sort of really aggressively going at my schemes managed to to let me get ahead six two. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting game. I think the stream is still out there, so if you want to want to see me uh, want to comb through that and look for for the mistake I inevitably <laughs> made in the rules somewhere, um, you're very welcome. And please write in and tell me. Yeah, we've got a couple streams up on our YouTube channel, uh, James, and it. Um, I know what you're saying, but you got to, you know, and I've had people play on our streams um, mm. that are nervous about it. And, and I know it's easier said than done, but you just you just got to play. And um, absolutely. But yeah, it, you're right. I, I, I don't know if there's ever been a perfectly played Malifaux game yet where every rule was done exactly right because of the intricacies. Luckily, I think three has less points of failure, uh, potential failure than two. Um, but, um, not in two hours, not on the time conditions at exactly. the end of a weekend of six rounds of Malifaux, uh, yep. and, you know, and potentially drinking in bad food. And, you know, we haven't talked about the fact that Jamie and his team makes room weather spoons, you know, drinking when we arrived at the venue on Sunday morning, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, you sort of at the end, you know, across one of these weekends, you're not going to play perfectly in every game. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to catch the majority of them both ways around, but there are going to be things that get done wrong. Um, and you've got to live with that, but it's just a bit more nerve wracking. You go, we recorded for posterity. And especially yeah. when, um, you know, so there's an interesting thing when, cause I moderate the weird forums. Occasionally you'll sort of, when you have to do something, you get some, some people, 
then get into a weird weird thing of trying to find something you've done wrong somewhere else like Ugh. that makes the thing they did wrong less it's right. just, can be a bit awkward yeah, they should go into politics at that point because mm-hmm. that's all we do in politics but exactly uh, Hey, Jamie, so uh, you ended up winning the event, and your final round was against uh, AJ Bars Bayou. It was a nice 6-4 win, and um, you and James ended up finishing with the same um, win-loss record, but it was your three-point differential. So you beating AJ by two after, you know, with James winning his by four was a big deal. Um, First off, uh, what did AJ bring, um, and what did you bring? Uh, so I took Molly, um, a fairly standard Molly crew for myself. So um, Molly with Archie and the Road Necromancy and then all all the scheme runners in the world. Um, and AJ bought Martucket um, with the whole focus rooster shooting shenanigans that uh, is her current tournament list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really, really good game. AJ's actually a teammate. Um, so he's one of the flipping weirds. Um, so it was good to play him. He played it really, really well. There was, um, I was a little bit ragey. <laughs> I, I, it's fair to say on turn two when, because uh, <laughs> it was clear that AJ had outflank and I had outflank as well. Yeah. And I'd, uh, there was a there was there was a Bayou bushwhacker in one on one flank corner and a uh, rooster rider on the other flank corner. So the the Bayou bushwhacker I put Archie into. Um, and didn't kill it, and then put Ugh. two by your side in Kruligans into it, and still didn't kill it for uh, to, to die out flank. I was like, right, okay, right, whatever. Other flank. So in the other flank, the rogue necromancy and a night terror went into this rooster rider and didn't kill it. And I was just like, I, I just looked at the board. And I was like, AJ, I don't understand how this has happened. One of those models should be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a lot of pain into those models. I mean, those bushwhackers are so damn good, though. It's um, so it stopped me picking up a bomb and denying him outflank. So it was a massive swing in the game. And I was looking at going, oh my, like I was really quite. And it, what it had also done is because I'd had to use so many models to try and do it, it set me yes. back on my breakthrough, which was my other scheme. Yep. Um, but luckily, because those models were in the right places, they managed to kill them both turn three and then sort of defend them to stop him getting the second point. And right. he had chosen Claim Jump for his other scheme on Trixie, which he got because I wasn't expecting Claim Jump. It's just not one I expect people to take, to be honest. Um, but he'd taken it on Trixie, so I managed to get her below half wounds to deny the second point on that and uh, just get consistent points from the bombs because... Molly's crew is super mobile. Um, yeah, but it yeah was, it's yeah, a good strat. A good strat for her. It was a really good game. I like I with the shenanigans with uh, these models not dying, which in hindsight was due due to Bryn stacking the deck into some monster of just severe cards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ugh. it was um, yeah, it was a really good game. Really enjoyable. That's great. Well, congratulations, Jamie. That's a, that's a good win. Um, and like I said, you know, the fact that it was only, it was only differential that made the difference, um, is kind of harkens back to kind of what we talked about, about whether, you know, trying to quote unquote play down to get better matchups early rounds. I think, uh, that's proof positive that that's uh, probably not a good play. Um, so I've got, uh, three people to play this game that I, I really respect. Um, and so I want to kind of talk about the top 10 at the end of that, um, and get your thoughts. So here's how the top 10 shook out as far as factions are concerned. Uh, you had three resers in the top 10, two 10 thunders, two Bayou, 
one Arcanist, one Outcast, one Guild, and no Neverborn made the top ten. Um, huge, you know, small sample size. You know, this is not, you know, you know, anything to worry about. But what I do want to kind of get a feel for, um, and uh, James, let's start with you. You know, can you kind of give me a feel of where you think the factions are right now? And of course, that's going to change six months from now. But I'd be interested to know what you think are some of the uh, meteor uh, factions and maybe some factions that you think might need a little bit of attention. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, I, I actually think we're, we're in a pretty good spot for all of the the Reza bashing I've done, um, and then the surprising lack of Arcanist bashing we've had on the on, on the show, which I thank you all for. Uh, I actually beforehand I actually wrote down how many Soulstone miners and swarms I took during this event for when that inevitably came up, and I'm going to use because I already step. know the answer, James. So <laughs> you know, but I would like to be prepared. I mean, I would I would take the view. I think actually, when you look at it, um, Arcanist Rezas. Um, Outcasts and Thunders, I think, all have you know an incredibly good game. I think yeah. the Bayou probably underrated at the moment, um, and and so probably you know there as well. I think the only place where you've, you've probably got concerns right now are a guild, and I know a lot of their good stuff is not out, um, mm-hmm. so there's potential there. Neverborn seemed to be a little bit behind the curve, but again, I mean, this event was underrepresentative in the player base for Neverborn, right. so I think there's, there's something in there. Um, but right now, I mean, this is probably the most balanced I've, I've ever seen Malifaux. I've been playing since early in first edition. Mm-hmm. And it's the most balanced I've ever seen it. And I think by this point in second edition, we'd had a rata, and it was very clear that, that there were things that were way out of line. And actually, I, yeah, I don't see that as we, we go through um, the game right now. I think the game's probably the most balanced it's ever been, and, and you know, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I think we're in a really balanced place for the game. Um, I think rather than factions being, well, aside from 10 Thunders, obviously, uh, rather than factions <laughs> being an issue, I think you've, you've got a few models here and there, which I think we can all say are a little bit ahead of the curve, but not... Yep. Not ruining um, anyone's hobby, um, apart from Ten Thunders, obviously. Um, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, but I think, yeah, Guild, I think James is quite right. I think we've, we've not seen a lot of them because, well, actually, I mean, also, to be fair, like if we look back at our player base and you've got uh, sort of Lewis, who was one of the prolific Guild players, um, was running the, the big event um, up into those running events in Scotland now. So he's not yep. really been playing in them. You've got Matt, who was the, the, the top guild player for a long time here, is not playing them anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we've just, yeah, we've just not got anyone sort of adopted them here yet, really. Um, Neverborn, I think the Neverborn's problem is they've got two amazing masters um, and yep. then the rest of them aren't really seeing as much, but they've definitely got some power there. Um, there's a lot of play in, in a lot of their keywords. So I think, yeah, we're in a, a really balanced place. I think it will it will settle out and it will, it will come down to, as Malifaux always usually does, is player skill. It'll be what, yeah. what is seen as is the or perceived as the best will be what the best players are using. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 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 the, what makes the game great. I mean, and that's why you can have the UK and the US argue over what's broken and what's not broken and disagree over what's good and what's not good because actually the, the different different players at different skill levels playing it will tell you a completely different story about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I can tell you firsthand, playing a, a, a strong, we have a really strong guild player here, uh, Jesse Watson, who's a henchman. Um, and, you know, if someone someone thinks that guild is is in a bad place, you know, just needs to play against Jesse. And I think it'll change your mind. Um, but I'm not disagreeing, though. So I think that the, the gap is very small. Um, but if I have to, you know, put them in order, I, I don't disagree with what either you, you or James has said um, as far as that's concerned. Um, just before we get to Paul, I'll probably just quickly come back in on one one point around models. Um, I, I think there are definitely, you know, Jeremy's right, there are definitely some models that are under-costed um, that will turn up a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I think I see that in you know a number of factions right now. Um, what I think will be interesting, and the thing I would probably keep an eye on, is how much out of, um, out of keyword hiring tax people are paying. Yep. Um, and I think if, if, we, if we start to see a position where people are, routinely paying more than one soulstone or certainly seeing more than one soulstone in every game if the average ever creeps above uh, you know above one and a half maybe um in it you know higher in hiring tax i think that will be a good warning sign i think as it is right now the stuff that's ever represented is broadly versatile or is broadly kind of in inside its keyword and i think that probably speaks to the design doing what it should be doing yeah, and I think the other thought I was having too, thinking about balancing across um, the actual factions, and this is actually something I think that's really interesting, is having generic upgrades. Um, I mean, you can boost or or potentially spank a faction just by addressing those three upgrades and either adding some, changing them, or anything, and that that could, potentially could have a, a pretty big uh, impact. Yeah, I mean, I'd like I'd like to see them, you know, to address balance. I'd like to see us get back to that. Um, get to that back to that potentially back to the errata cycle we had in in, in second edition or, or potentially what i'd really like to see him do is every um is when we get around to gen con every year actually pick two keywords in each faction and redo them entirely uh, and just yeah. pick if, if they're you know if they're out of line away from the curve in either direction right just go through the faction and go okay well this faction's got two really underpowered keywords let's bring those up this faction's got an underpowered nova let's bring those back into mm-hmm. line I, I think that's the kind of thing you can do now with the amount of print on demand stuff they've gotten potentially re-sculpt them at the same time to drive the sales and i think i'd, I'd like to see that approach to balance because there's no reason I, I don't think we couldn't get into a cycle of that over time provided you weren't yep. doing the same keyword every year um I, you know I, I, don't, I don't see personally see a problem with that i'm sure people who are closer to the industry might do yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that would be the best way to do it. I think we don't want really many more models in in terms of new. new. Um, obviously, we've got a whole new faction to come. Um, right. But we don't want, I think, we're, we're, we'll get into a dangerous territory if we start adding too much to the existing factions again. And I think, James, the, the, that, that, the idea to redesign existing keywords in, in, as, as the release rather than um, releasing new models is is just a much better direction to go in. We need to keep the the ranges roughly the size they are now for each faction, because otherwise it's just too much, and you end up with the the power creep that you we ended up with in M two E. Yeah, and I think honestly, that I, you know where I'm starting to get on this one on that point, guys, is um, you know we got to keep in mind Weird's got to sell models, right? So to stay mm-hmm. open, they can't just put out new rules. That doesn't sell um, nearly as much as the new models. They do have a new faction to work with, so there's opportunity there. I am really, you know, after going through Dead Man Hands, I am. I'm okay with part of that balancing being an annual rotation where they, yeah. you know, they dead man hand, they put out five new models 
and they dead man hand five models um, so that the size, Jamie, to your point, stays about the same. Um, but they use that to A, sell models and B, you know, to pr- present some balance. I'd do a keyword here, um, you know, yep. from each faction potentially. And you mm-hmm. can bring the player base into that um, in, in different ways. I think provided you're, you clear it's dead man's hand, you kind of, you, you create an expectation that anything new that you print is, I mean, whatever you do, players will riot because internet, but you know, you could, you could create an expectation. Okay. If we introduce a new keyword, that keyword is safe for two X years. Amount of time. Yeah. yeah. So that, so that no one buys a model that they now, that they know is going to be dead in or out of competitive play a new model that's out of competitive play within two years and then actually go, yeah, you can do some story stuff with that because part of the attraction of Malfoy is the story moves on and, and yep. I'd be up for, you know, and some people could potentially break out of jail um, and return as a spidery mechanical overlord. Um, <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts, Paul? Um, wh- wh- where do you think um, things are shaking out as far as faction versus I, I faction? Do um, you kind of share the same thoughts as James and Jamie? Or? Space. I mean, the 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 there's just so many sort of exciting things and, 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 and challenging things out there. You know, obviously everybody's focused on Shen Long, but you've got like Dreamer, um, obviously Von Stuck, um, you know, again, you know, the Arcanists have got depth uh, and all sorts of interesting sort of things with lots of mechanical legs. You know, it, it's, you know, where, and, and the bayou is, well, Jamie's going to the bayou. So that, that, that's all you really need to know, you know? Uh, yeah, that answers yeah, every yeah, question so, you might have had. I'm surprised you're not already on him, on that bandwagon well, with him, Paul. Well, like, I'm, I'm amazed you've restrained yourself at this length of time. I'm sorry, but, sh- but, uh, goblins in denim is just, I, I have limits and that's, that's on the wrong side of that limit, <laughs> you know, so. Paul has standards. You heard it here first. I'm not sure where this reputation that because I'm playing it, it must be broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think you've got it. (laughs) But then I don't know why Paul has the slow player tag anymore. I don't think he is that slow. (laughs) I I don't don't think he is that slow anymore. Um, I, I think, you know. But but going back to the, uh, the what I would say is, uh, I mean, Neverborn, um, you know, I'm very excited about it. I mean, I'd be in Neverborn now if, if uh, Nakima had had her uh, totem available earlier in the competitive mm-hmm. year. Um, you know, and I, you know, I, I just I threw my uh, toys out of the pram when I wasn't able to use her uh, for one of the big sort of uh, tournaments. Um, I remember you throwing your toys out the pram on that because I was on a platform at King's Cross Station (laughs) looking like a right madman trying to talk you down on that one. (laughs) I was proper pissed about that. But anyway, we'll move on. Um, You know, thanks to that, the world world got to have me on Shenlong. So, you know. (laughs) While we're complaining complaining about Neverborn, there's something actually I'll I'll, I'll bring in and um, and apologies for sort of crashing into your your vocals there, Paul. Um, You know, there's one thing I'll bring in on Neverborn, actually, which is, um, I think for I think what I find amusing is about going back to the lack of Neverborn players at this event is I remember when Neverborn were, were you know were one of the best factions, if not you know utterly broken for the majority of second edition and mm-hmm. the majority of first edition. People were always telling me, oh, it's because the you know they're really fluffy and you know they're really nice. I really like the the look and the feel of Neverborn, the background of Neverborn. That's why I'm playing them. Mm-hmm. Um, where are they now? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, you know, and 
I think in, we kind of brought it up too. So, you know, Guild is suffering because some, there's some keywords that are missing key models. Um, I've had a chance to play against Euripides three times now. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know if Euripides is going to be good competitively, but he is, he is really fun to play, to play and to play against. And I, um, I think there's some power to unlock there, but we're not going to really see it until, uh, you know, that box becomes more prolific. Um, and you know, the bottom line is, is we only have a handful of Neverborn players here in the Carolinas. It's, you know, it's mostly dominated by, you know, Rezzers, Arcanists, Outcasts, and Ten Thunders. Um, yeah, we have very few guild players as well. So, um, and you know, I think that, Bayou has snuck under. Um, I have played now against a couple good Bayou players, and there is a ton of power in, in that uh, faction. So well, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how it play out. So we found out Paul has got kind of a left eye on Neverborn. We found you know Jamie's starting to dabble with Bayou. James, is there at any point are you going to get off the Arcanist train and tr- at least try something else? Um, I, I certainly will at some point, and you know, people forget. You know, I'm predominantly an arcanist, but I've at various points in my my Malavai history, you know, I've had the best Neverborn badge, the best Outcast, uh, sorry, the best Thunders badge, I think, but certainly the best Guild badge. Um, and you know, I've played around with a lot of factions in the past. Um, yeah. So you know. I will definitely move again at some point. I've, I've often been sort of, I think Arca, uh, sort of Arcanists and Outcasts are the opposite side of the same coin, whereas Arcanists are sort of the investigators in a Lovecraft story. The the, uh, the Outcasts are probably the ones that succumb to the dark power. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of see myself going over there for a bit at some stage, <laughs> but I don't have the painting time. I don't like playing with them painted stuff, and I don't have the painting time in my life right now. So I am leveraging the fact that I have a lot of painted Arcanists as much as anything else. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. Well, gentlemen, congratulations. Uh, like I said, strong finish and good luck to all three of you um, at the um, Nationals coming up. Um, I would love to see um, some uh, more Third Floor Wars guests uh, proving um, that just by being on the show, you're a better player. Um, so um, I'm sure we'll be catching up and I bet uh, uh, hopefully I'll be inviting you guys back for the Nationals podium because you make it. Um, James, any plugs or anything before we go? Uh, just my usual uh, plug for my FLGS who do me you know, brilliant service every time um, and a great on Malafo stuff in the UK um, and, 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 you know, and internationally um, and that's Leodis Games um, in Leeds so big plug to them they're, uh, they're fantastic they're great Paul do you have any plugs? Uh, sorry I'm currently uh, gluing models onto bases ready for tomorrow because <laughs> you know, <laughs> <'cause>, you know <laughs> filth <laughs> Uh, sorry uh yeah you know <laughs> that's all right so you're what, what glue are you using paul super glue so you know <laughs> all right so you so paul's plug is to uh, to be using super glue to put it to your bases jamie do you have any plugs um no nothing i can think of just the usual right. sort of uh if you're listening to this you're probably already in malifo chat groups on messenger and stuff like that but if you are not then get involved yeah, we uh, Jamie and I are in the both in the Rezzer chat, and it's been great. And I know James, uh, um, you I think you get the impression you're enjoying the Arcanist chat. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I do blunder in there every now and again and go off at people asking stupid rules questions. Or more to the point, asking rules questions wrong. You know, answering rules questions wrong. I wonder, right. I wonder James, like, if that's the same person that I do that to in the Reza group. Uh, it just like, what, what, what amazes me is like, you, if someone asks a question, like four people answer it wrong. And then some before anybody, before anybody even looks at any of the rules involved in the question. That's it. So, well, my maze is like, but yeah, could someone have at least like pretended to look at the rules before we, we before we answered this question? Um, we didn't ask but, for your hot take. We wanted the answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like somebody, somebody read the rules, please. Um, That's really funny. Uh, but no, uh, that, not in anything on on tournament policy where I have I have very firm views. Um, oh, that's funny. There you go. All right, guys. Well, uh, I, well, we'll be talking to you soon. Um, I'm gonna I'm trying to work out some time, James, to get you up uh, for the uh, Sandy deep dive. So uh, we'll talk about that offline. Looking forward but, to. Uh, Yeah, man. For everybody listening, I appreciate you listening. So take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. For everybody listening, I appreciate you listening, so take care. Uh, just, sorry, just before he disappears. Guy. <laughs> fucking timing, Paul. Wondering River style. What are people's thoughts on this thing with the um, you dropping the markers that you know and turning them into friendly? We should just leave this in the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> do, the, do, do, the, do the outro as normal. <laughs> do your outro and just leave that on the end. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Yeah, there was a yeah, legitimate Paul, question there. It was a legitimate question, and, and I'm going to stop the recording and let you guys answer it because i got to get going. But uh, I appreciate it, guys. But you're welcome to stay on. But in fact, make sure uh, you don't know this yet, Paul, but leave the leave your browser open until uh, you get the message that everything's downloaded. Cool. Uh, but i got to scoop, guys. Thanks All so right, much. Thank you, Pleasure. Cheers, Cheers Greg.